Good morning. Uh, when I was a kid uh, and my eye would get uh, irritated, or if my parents were worried that uh, a sty might be forming in my eye, or they were worried about pink eye, uh, my dad would take off his uh, gold wedding ring and he'd give it to me and I would hold it against the corner of my eye. And I would just hold it there just for a few minutes uh, and then I would give the ring back to him and I would just go along on my merry way. And you know what? Uh, I never had a sty form in my eye. I, I never had pink eye. Uh, it just worked holding that ring up against my eye. Uh, except that it, it doesn't work. Uh, and there is no medical evidence that holding a gold ring up against your eye is going to do anything good for you. In fact, it might make things worse. Uh, how about you? Did you uh, have any weird family traditions or old wives' tales that you kind of picked up Along the way, did your grandma cut a potato in half and rub it on your foot and bury it in the backyard? Or how many of us still feel like we need to wait 20 minutes after eating before we go swimming, even though that's not really a thing? You know, but as we grow up and we get older, we start to look at why do my parents do things this way? Why does my family do this this way? Is this actually helpful? Is this actually something that is making a difference in our lives? And I think that that is a good perspective for us to have. It's also a good perspective for us to bring into our faith that we want to take a look uh, for the religious kind of clutter that just kind of builds up in our lives, those old wives' tale uh, that we kind of end up, why do I believe this or why do I think this way? And I think it's good for us to kind of come back to what God has said and to look at it with fresh eyes. And our series is Worship in the Wild and how we are called to worship God in spirit and in truth. And to do that, we need to take a look at what God has said. In Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, there is a group that has come back to Jerusalem and they have rebuilt the walls around the city and they've rebuilt the gates. And then, <coughs> excuse me, then they gather everybody together from all the towns, all nearby. They all come and they meet up uh, in the town square in Jerusalem. I'm just going to take a drink for a moment here. <coughs> So they meet up in the town square. And uh, if you look at Nehemiah chapter 8, you'll see a few different things. Uh, you see that it's, uh, they all come together with a unified purpose. It's the men and the women and the children who are old enough to understand. And they're all there. Uh, and then Ezra, uh, who is the speaker, he gets up on an elevated platform and he uh, addresses the people. He gets everybody to stand up. And then he leads them to praise the Lord, and they lift up their hands, and they bow down before God. Uh, and then the Levites come up, and they begin to explain to the people uh, from the law of God. And I want to take a look at just one verse here. It's Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. It says, they read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read helping the people understand each passage. And then the people went and they celebrated and they ate rich food together and they drank sweet drinks and they shared their food 
with those who are in need. Now that was thousands of years ago, and yet it's not that different from what we are doing here today. That we're gathered together with a unified purpose. It's the men and the women and the youth who are old enough to understand. And we were standing and we were praising God. And now I'm trying to explain clearly from the Bible. And then we're all going to go and eat rich food and drink sweet drinks. And we're going to celebrate and have a great day. And so with that as our foundation, kind of looking at why do we do what we do? I want us to take a look at our worship. Why did we worship the way that we did today? Why did we come together and sing songs just like we did? Why do we sing? Because as Christians, we know, uh, if you're here as a Christian, that we are to worship God. But there's lots of different ways that we can worship God. I mean, we could all gather here together and we could just silently contemplate the beauty and the awesomeness of God. And that would be worship. But that's not what we do. We come together and we sing. Every Sunday that I have come to church in my entire life, we've always been singing. And I want us to kind of take a look again at why do we sing? And to do that, uh, we're going to look at it in a few parts. We're going to look at why do we sing. We're going to look at how are we to sing. We're going to look at the benefits of singing. And then we're going to close by looking at a passage of the Bible that is about singing. All right, so let's start with why do we sing. I want to give you two points here on why we sing. Number one, Christianity is a singing religion. When uh, my wife Crystal married me, she married into a family that sings. I don't know if she was aware of it at the time, uh, but I like to sing. I don't know that I was doing a lot of singing around Crystal when we were dating or engaged, uh, but if you get enough Mathesons together, especially if my grandmother is there, someone is going to start singing. We just like to sing. And I grew up going to Sunday school and learning all the Sunday school songs. And I remember being a kid and we would go on long road trips to BC. And you know, there were no iPads, there was no DVD players in cars. And so my sisters and I would be crammed into the back of our giant green car and we would just sing for hours. I'm sure we drove our parents crazy because we would just sing every single song that we knew. We found it very entertaining. In my family, we had a rule, no singing at the kitchen table. <laughs> Apparently that rule had to be implemented because we were singing too much as kids at the kitchen table. It's a rule that has now found its way into my family. Hey, you guys can't sing at the table, okay, enough. <laughs> Crystal married into a family that sings. And if you are a Christian, when you are saved, you are brought into a family that sings. That for thousands of years, God's people have sang praises to him. That when we look at the Bible, throughout the Bible, we see singing. So we can look at Exodus chapter 15, after God delivers his people from uh, slavery and captivity in Egypt. And he brings them out through the Red Sea. Moses and the people, they begin to sing. It's Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Uh, and we can look at in Revelation 
chapter 15. If we go to the very other end of the Bible, Revelation 15 in verse 3, it talks about how God's people, how they sing the song of Moses, and now it's the song of the Lamb, and they sing it to God. Uh, Revelation 15, 3, and they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And so we are a part of a singing family. Now, not every religion believes that singing is good or worthwhile. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we do. Number two. So the first one is that we're part of a singing family. Christianity is a singing religion. It's one of the distinctives of who we are is that we sing. Uh, And secondly, it's that we have something to sing about. Why do we sing? Why do we come together and sing together? We have something to sing about. In Exodus, they're singing a a song uh, of deliverance, a song of victory. The same in Revelation. It's a song of deliverance. It's a song of victory. We have something to sing about. In Psalm 13, verse 6, it says, I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. This is why we sing. And we're going to come back to this idea again at the end. But I want to move on to looking at how do we sing? How are we to sing? I want to give you four points on how we sing. Number one, we sing together. That when we gather together, we sing together. So we saw it uh, in each of those passages that we looked at. In Nehemiah, they're singing together. In Exodus, it's Moses and all the people. They are singing their song together. In Revelation, they are singing together. And we see it continue into the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is with his disciples and they're in the upper room. And if you think about it, these are Jesus' last moments with his disciples before they're gonna go to the Mount of Olives. And they've had a meal together uh, and what we celebrate as communion and remembering the Lord's Supper. Uh, They've had that time. And then it says uh, in Matthew 26, verse 30, then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. So the last thing they did before Jesus is going to go to the Mount of Olives, he's going to be arrested, he's betrayed, he's going to be led to his crucifixion, and then Jesus takes this last moment together with his disciples in the upper room, and they sing to God together. We sing together. In Acts chapter 16, You've got Paul and Silas, and they're in prison, and they are suffering together. They are in chains together. They're in shackles together. They're having a difficult time together, and they sing their song to God together. They're singing and praying together. That's Acts 16, 25. So we sing together. How are we to sing? We sing individually. And so I want us to see that we sing together But even when we come together and sing, there is an individual responsibility on each of us to sing. That each of us is to sing our praises to God. And when we look at in Exodus chapter 15, when God's people have been delivered and Moses and the people of Israel, they begin to sing together. But look at what they're singing. This is verse one. It says, I will sing to the Lord. And then down in verse two, it says, the Lord is my strength 
and my song, he has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. And so even as we come together, it's each of us that lifts up our voice, that sings our praise to God, that there's responsibility for each of us as we're together. And yes, it's we, and it's us as a body and as a church singing together. And sometimes in our culture, we can go too far on focusing on me as an individual, and we forget that it's us, and we forget that it's the body of Christ, and it's our church singing together. And we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. But there is a responsibility for each of us to say, hey, you are my God. I will sing my song to you. That personal singing individually. So we sing together. We sing individually. This third point is probably the most obvious. Uh, We sing to God. How are we to sing? We sing our songs to God. Because I can just be singing like the Beatles around my house and that is not worship to God. That's just singing. So singing our praise, worship, has a destination. We're not just singing to the ceiling or singing to the wall. We're singing to God. And when we come together, it's not just Christian karaoke, where we just got the ball that was going along the words of the blue line that filled up as we went along, that it's something different. We're worshiping. We're singing our song to God. We're praising him and worshiping him. So it's going to God. And it's important for us to remember as we're singing, we sing to a God who sings. In Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17, it talks about how God will someday sing over us. God sings to his people. And so we sing to a God who sings. We sing to God. Fourth point, how are we to sing? We sing and worship using our whole body. That when we sing to God, when we worship him, it is more than just that we have to stand like a statue and it's just our voice, but that it takes, uh, it's all of us. Uh, Psalm 63 verse one, it says, my whole body longs for you. That when we're singing, when we're worshiping, it's more than just my voice, it's all that I am. And so we lift up to God. We lift up our head. Uh, Psalm three, verse three, it says, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory and the one who holds my head high. He is the lifter of our head. And so when we come to worship, we don't come downcast. We're not slumping our shoulders and just feeling beat up by life, but he's the lifter of our head. And so we lift our head to him. When we come in, it takes all that we are. We lift our head. We lift our eyes. Hebrew 12, 1, uh, it talks about how we set our eyes on Jesus. We look to Jesus. When we come together in worship, we're taking our eyes off of ourselves, off of what's going on in our circumstances, and we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. We lift our eyes. We lift our head. We lift our hearts. Psalm 9, verse 1, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. That when we come and we sing together, uh, we know how easy it is to just go through the motions. 
that we're singing the song and yet it's disconnected from our heart because we're thinking about all the other things that we got going on. We got to think about what's happening in the rest of our day. And so it can take work for us to clear out those distractions, to clear our minds, to say, no, God, I'm going to sing to you with all of my heart, all of my focus, all of my attention. I'm going to put it on you as I worship you. So we lift our hearts. We lift our hands. The Bible has a lot to say about lifting up our hands. We lift holy hands. He gives us clean hands and a pure heart. And so we can lift our hands in worship. We can engage in worship with our whole body. And so God, if you have purified my hands, if you have given me holy hands, then I can lift them up to you. And now think about what lifting our hands means in our culture. You can go around the world and it's the international sign of surrender. I don't have any weapons. I'm not a threat. I surrender. I lift up my hands. We lift our hands to God. Think about someone who's drowning, who's reaching out for help, who's saying they're desperate for someone to take hold of their hand and to rescue them. And when we lift our hands, we're saying to God, God, I need your help. God, I'm lifting holy hands to you. I surrender to you. Think about a, a baby who before they can even talk or verbalize, they can lift up their hands and say, pick me up and give me a hug. Encourage me, lift me up. And so we lift our hands to God and we say, God, pick me up. God, I need your help. God, come and rescue me. We lift our holy hands to him. Our worship can take our whole body. We lift our head, our eyes, our heart. We lift our hands. We lift our voice. Psalm 95 verse 1 says, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. And so we sing and we shout. We can get loud. That we can't stay silent because we know who our God is. So we lift our voice, we raise our voice. And in the same Psalm, in verse six, Psalm 95, verse six, it says, come and let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And so there are times where we sing and there's times where we shout and there's times when we kneel and times when we bow down in our worship. So we kneel and bow down. We dance. Psalm 149, verse 3. Praise his name with dancing, accompanied by tambourine and harp. It can engage our whole body when we sing and we worship him. It's all that I am. My whole body longs for you, wants to worship you and praise you. And we clap our hands. Psalm 47, verse 1. Come, everyone, clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise. And so how do we worship? We worship together. We worship as individuals. Our song goes to God. We are worshiping him. And our worship, our song, it involves our whole body that we can use all that we are to worship him. But for myself, whenever I come to a list like this and I look at, okay, all the different ways, I start to ask myself, okay, do I have to do this? Do I have to sing? Do I have to lift my hands? Am I required to do this? And I, I think that that's the wrong question. That's like me saying, do I have to kiss my wife? No, I get to kiss my wife. I get to physically show her my love and my affection. 
And so when it comes to our worship, do you have to do this? Do you have to sing? Do you have to lift your hands? No, you get to sing. You get to, you have the freedom to use all that you are, your entire body, to praise and worship your God. Okay, let's take a look at the benefits of expressively singing, expressive worship. What are the benefits to us and to our body? And uh, these four points come from Jack Hayford in his book, Mastering Worship. And number one, it's that it challenges our culture. When we expressively worship, it challenges our culture because we come uh, from a little bit of a reserved uh, Canadian culture that's around us. And some of you might come from different religious traditions that have maybe not been expressive uh, in their worship. And so that can be the culture that we're familiar with. And so Canadians aren't always great at showing our emotions. And so to come into worship, and even the idea that we would cry during worship or express how we're really feeling deep down, it's much easier just to stand like the statue and, oh, it's all happening inside of me and not letting any of that actually out physically. And so when we expressively worship God, it challenges the culture that's around us and the culture maybe that we've grown up in or or been around previously. And so the question for us becomes, am I uncomfortable with this because the culture is uncomfortable with this or because God's uncomfortable with this? Is this something that God has said, don't do that? Or is this something that culture is saying, oh no, don't do that. Oh no, that's not the time. This isn't the place for that. So it pushes against culture. The second point is that it humbles us. When we expressively worship, none of us here want to embarrass ourselves or make a fool of ourselves. We all want to to do well, but it humbles us. There's a battle that happens against our own pride, against our ego, of the thought of lifting up my hands. Everyone is now looking at me. All the attention is on me, and our pride takes a hit. It humbles us when we're willing to express ourselves in worship. And that's good. We need to allow God and his spirit to humble us. Number three, uh, it creates a warm and welcoming atmosphere. That when we all come together and we are all singing and we're all worshiping together, it creates a warm and a welcoming atmosphere in this place. Think about a secular concert. If you've ever been to a secular concert where you're all there to see the same band, to hear them sing your favorite songs, everybody's there for the same reason. Those songs come on, everyone's singing along, and it's a great environment. After the concert's over, everybody's walking out, and they've had such a great time. Hey, we're all here because we all like this music. We all like singing it. And how much more in the body of Christ when we come together with that same purpose. Hey, we're singing our songs, the same song to the same God. It creates a warm and welcoming atmosphere in this place when we are not so reserved, but we're willing to express what we're feeling, how much we love our God. And then number four, participation fosters 
commitment. And so what's the benefits of expressive worship? Uh, It's participation, it fosters commitment. And so I want you to consider that when the music starts on a Sunday morning, do you see yourself as someone who is observing the band on the stage, or do you see yourself as a participant? Are you just watching the worship, or are you not on the sidelines, you're in the game? Because when we participate in anything, it fosters commitment. We're more committed to the things that we take part in. And so I want you to see yourself as being in the worship. None of us can say, worship wasn't very good today, because it's all of us. It's us that are worshiping. It's not the band, it's all of us together. When we participate, it fosters commitment. So those are our benefits of expressive worship. Now, I've given you a whole bunch of points. I mean, we did two points, and then we did four points, and I gave you four more points. So if you like taking notes, hopefully you're happy. But if, if you're, especially for our young people here, if you're like going for lunch and your mom or dad is like, what was the message about today? Here's the one thing that I want you to remember, okay? Here's the one takeaway that we can all hold on to. And it's coming back to this idea that we sing because we have something to sing about. We have something to sing about. And I wanna take a look at Isaiah chapter 12. And if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to join me there. Isaiah chapter 12. In the previous chapters, Isaiah has been prophesying about the Messiah. How there is a Messiah who is going to come. And it's all about what the Messiah is going to be like, what the Messiah is going to do. And then in chapter 12, he prophesies about what the response will be of the redeemed to the Messiah. And I want us to take a look at this chapter. It's only six verses long. But I want us to look at it through the lens of understanding why do we sing? Because we have something to sing about. Isaiah chapter 12, in verse 1, it says, In that day you will sing. And I want us to see that for us today, today is that day. Isaiah is prophesying about a day. He's prophesying about a coming Savior, about a coming Messiah. And for us, we know that Messiah is Jesus Christ. And so for us, we can say today, today is the day that you will sing. I will praise you, O Lord. You were angry with me, but not anymore. Now, You comfort me. And so for each of us, we can understand that once we were enemies of God, while we were dead in our sin, yet Jesus Christ, he died for us. And so we have gone from being enemies of God to now we are friends of God. Now he comes and comforts us. And in in verse two, it says, See, God has come to save me. And that is what we have experienced. We were like that drowning person, reaching out. And our God came and saved us. He pulled us up when we couldn't save ourselves. And so we look at why do we sing? Because we have something to sing about. 
that our God came and saved us. He rescued us. I'm not an enemy of God. God isn't angry with you today. God loves you. God is here to comfort you. And this is why we sing. God has come to save me. I will trust him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. And that is a direct quotation from the song of Moses that we looked at in Exodus chapter 15. And so we see this same song, it's coming back here. And so for you and I to recognize, why do we sing? We sing because the Lord God is our strength and he is the song that we sing. We're singing to Jesus. He gives us the strength to sing. He is our song. He has given us victory. And verse three, with joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. That we are those who are saved. We drink deeply from the living water that Jesus has made available to us. We are saved, delivered, redeemed because of Jesus. This is why we sing. Verse four, in that wonderful day, you will sing, thank the Lord, praise his name, tell the nations what he has done. Let them know how mighty he is. Sing to the Lord, for he has done wonderful things. Make known his praise around the world. And then verse six, let all the people of Jerusalem. Shout his praise with joy. It's all of us that are to do this. For great is the Holy One of Israel who lives among you. Each of us has something to sing about. Why do we sing? We have something to sing about. Our God has saved us. This is why we sing. And in a moment, we're just gonna uh, stand together and we're gonna sing, but I want you to consider uh, one last thing before we sing together. And as I was preparing this message and I was, I was thinking about it, I, I came uh, to think about Genesis chapter 26, where you've got Isaac and he is going and he has to redig the wells that his father Abraham had once dug. They've been covered over. And so he gets his men and he has to do the hard work of digging out these wells, of finding the water again. And I think sometimes when we come to worship, when we go to sing, it's not always easy. You know, sometimes it's hard to open up your mouth and to sing. It's hard to consider lifting up your hands or dancing or bowing down or whatever it is in that moment that the spirit would lead you to do. But sometimes we need to recognize that we need to dig in, that we need to dig in and, and press in as we're facing culture that's around us, as we're facing the pride that's in our own hearts. But would we be those who would dig in this morning, who would lean in to expressing what's happening on the inside, to letting that out, to having the freedom to worship God, even expressively. And so I wanna encourage you this morning to dig because we are those who have access to living water.